podcast where we trade ideas on race by way of discussing culture. I'm your host, Boston. And I'm Jay. You can drop us a line at bostonnj at racetraderpodcast.com. Check the spelling in the show notes. Make sure you subscribe and give us five stars on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, folks. Uh, It has been a while. Um, A lot has, I guess, happened since... Our last episode, uh, this is our first time recording in my new apartment. We're in the kitchen uh, in Jersey City. And we thought, you know, Boston and I have been having probably like a three-year-long argument uh, that has breached essentially new ground a couple, like a week ago or so. And, you know, we both kind of, it's probably like a two-hour-long discussion on the phone and after both of us mulling it over a bunch, we've come to some new discussions. And then Memorial Day weekend happened. We had a uh, Boston was invited to my uh, family gathering. Boston and I ended up being in a debate with a uh, very kind and thoughtful uh, libertarian. Often those words are mutually exclusive in my experience. <laughs> but um, so we are going to be hashing those things out and do you have anything to add to that uh, context of this episode no no nothing no no, nothing (laughs) i think that actually makes sense in kind of trying to find a theme as to what this episode is going to be orbiting around first is like what is racism Uh, you know the very easy answer to unpack Uh, the other one is how has the term racism changed in today's climate and this is more of the uh, focal point of the question, probably, and where we tend to disagree the most, which is what is the value of assessing someone's intent in regards to racism? So I've said enough already. Boston, how would you answer that question as in terms of uh, what is racism? Racism traditionally has been thought of, in my understanding anyway, is the ability to discriminate against someone based on race. And that's not, that's very different than prejudice, which is I don't like somebody because of their skin color. You can do that and not discriminate. So a good example is I can be a prejudiced shopkeeper if I'm white, but still have black employees, maybe I don't like them. Maybe I don't care. Maybe I'm apathetic, whatever the case may be. But racist, a racist shopkeeper would not hire a black person. They would exercise that prejudicial power and that would inform their decision not to hire them or to to affect them in some way monetarily. So your delineation between prejudice and racism is almost like Prejudice is almost entirely a a personal choice where like racism is like leveling up that prejudice to become something of an institution that carries over. When your prejudice becomes effective, then you become (laughs) racist. Uh, Yeah, I like that. So I think particularly like in American culture, historic American culture, where your prejudice becomes counterintuitive. I don't want black money, even though you know, I don't want money from black people. I would rather sick dogs on you and have the sheriff come out and spray you down with water hoses 
than have you eat at my store, which is completely counterintuitive to most capitalistic and libertarian principles, right? Like you would think that you would just take the money from whoever gave you the money and as much that you just have the business. You know what I mean? But I'm making a stand to lose money selling food, which is what my business is intending to do in order to make your life more difficult. Well, okay. So where does the term institutional racism fall into this, to, to your like schematic? So when you have a structure, when you have a country, in essence, founded on maintaining a caste system. So I, I, I listened to a podcast. I was obsessed with this podcast. It was like six hours long. Um, Dan Carlin, who's a podcaster, one of the original podcasters probably, he has this podcast called Hardcore History. And he finally did the transatlantic, transatlantic slave trade. Like, and he had said in his podcast, is he a black man or white? White guy. Okay. He had said he, he, that the angle that he took was almost completely unique in a way that I had never thought about it before. And he talked about how, um, if they weren't trading people, if they weren't selling people, the transatlantic slave trade, if it was just tomatoes, it would be a marvel of economic ingenuity. You imagine that like with very few navigational systems, they're picking up people and transporting them all over the world in this very unique way that had almost never been done before in human history. It was the first globalized market, if you want to think about it, where you know your goods are coming on this day and there's an auction for it. And we have all these posts set up just to sell one thing. Like that's very unique. It's the first, like I Foxconn or something like, you know, the Apple set up shop in China is now shipping their goods all over the world to all these different ports with one main port or, or they have this like one coastal port that are actually spreading out all these things. Anyway, right. he goes and he talks about people don't understand that black people were living under a totalitarian government for the majority of their history. Do you know what I mean? Like black people up until the seventies were living in North Korea and Alabama. And that's like a really good juxtaposition, right? And, and that, that brings, I think, a little bit more clarity about what the institution actually means, what institutional racism means, right? If, if you're a North Korea, if you're, in, if you're a North Korean, you can't go out and do certain things. You can't say certain things or they're going to lynch you or they're going to destroy you. Now, it has been for certain African-Americans who are uniquely positioned and privileged enough, they had even then escaped some of the worst parts of it, of that totalitarian regime. Even in the 19th century, you had African-American senators or people that, that were African-American that were able to be able to, you were able to pull off amazing feats. Some African-Americans became millionaires, but nobody would say that because African-Americans, certain African-Americans have succeeded, that institutional racism didn't exist in the 60s. Well, plenty of people unfortunately would say that, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a bad argument. It's a bad, it's a bad faith argument. <laughs> yeah. These are obvious questions, but I ask them just to kind of, make a foundation. So 
we've talked about white supremacy plenty on this podcast, how that term has changed and necessarily so. And I, I would say like one of the reasons like white supremacy in terms of at least my understanding of that word, I normally saw it as a pretty direct and purposeful allegiance to something like the KKK or a neo-Nazi uh, regime or some, some sort of, but you know, it's kind of been, I don't know exactly when this changed, but I'm going to say like in terms of the zeitgeist and how it's been used and like, honestly, probably the last like eight years earlier than that, maybe in academic circles that I wasn't privy to, but that's kind of my vague memory of that term now just meaning the legacy of a white dominant culture and what that means and what those ramifications are and how they manifest and how they could be changed for to include more perspectives besides white. So how would you say the term racism has changed in today's climate? I think if at all. So in our group chat, I sent out a text that said that with the website of the Daughters of the Confederacy. And I, I don't know if anything, I don't know if how much our audience knows about the Daughters of the Confederacy. They're solely responsible almost for the lost cause narrative. The narrative that the Civil War wasn't about slavery. It was about states' rights. Um, and they were responsible for erecting a number of the statutes to Robert E. Lee and a lot of the other Civil War Confederate soldiers. Clearly, I think, white supremacist stance. I don't think that like any logical person would say, eh, you know, these guys were fighting about slavery. It's pretty obvious. Now, if you want to say, if you're not, if you're no longer comfortable with that and you want to lie about it, Right. That's one thing. Anyway, I say all that to say on their website, they released a statement that they don't want to be associated with white supremacist like groups like the Klan. And it's a really strange statement from the Daughters of the Confederacy. And I think even like, well, they, it's like they probably it's like a, it's like classism within the ranks. Like they see the KKK as a bunch of like trailer trash. Well, I'm going to see if I can... Or is it just a PR? I, I think that I'm, I'm going to try... Give me a second. I want to try to pull up their statement because I think it's really interesting. So this is a partial statement from the Daughters of the Confederacy. We are grieved that certain hate groups have taken the Confederate flag and other symbols as their own. We are the descendants of Confederate soldiers, sailors, and patriots. Our members are the ones who have spent 126 years honoring the members... The, their memory by various, their memory being the Confederate soldiers, by various activities in the fields of education, history, and charity, promoting patriotism and good citizenships. Our members are the ones, like our statues, have stayed quiet in the background, never engaging in public controversy. The United the Daughters of the Confederacy totally denounce any individual or groups that promote racial divisiveness or white supremacy. And we call on these people to cease using Confederate symbols for their abhorrent and reprehensible purposes. That's amazing. That is amazing. <laughs> Man. So what year, when was that written? That's current on their website. Then, oh, that's like their main. Okay. That's their, that's their, 
And I'm like, you mean the daughters of the Confederacy are denying being well, racist? In a weird way, like, I don't know, this is, this is going really far back. And I, we may even cut this part out because it wasn't, like, well-formed yet. But this was kind of what I meant by um, me finding, like, all these corporations promoting Black Lives Matter as, like, like a hollow, empty danger. You know, like, it's why... I found like a lot of things on Hulu maybe very patronizing or I think that's what I was mentioning like way back then, but it's like this danger of like, like Amazon, right? Like I have a prime account like most people do. And like in the aftermath of uh, George Floyd's murder, there were all of the sections, like it could be just black history. It could be black women uh, in, in drama or whatever. Mm-hmm. It was all of these black lives matter, uh, pro black suites of movies. And it's like, that's good. I'm not like annoyed that I am being asked or suggested to watch, uh, black movies. It's just, I don't trust Amazon's sentiment, nor do I want sentiment from them. Mm-hmm. And, and I just think there's like, a danger in that. I also think like we maybe touched on that too in the Arm and Hammer episode when you were throwing shade on one of the verses from Quale Chris where he was doing a similar critique on the song um, Chicharrones, but uh, from Arm and Hammer's uh, album Harem. Anywho, all that is to say it's that so much language can be co-opted and, and, and your daughters of the Confederacy thing is such a perfect example of that, like polite society nonsense. So I think that the daughters of Confederacy know what they're doing. Oh, of course. No, no, no. That's, that's and entirely intentional. Exactly. Yeah. And it's a gaslight. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I'm going to Alexander Stevens was the v- vice president of the Confederacy. And I'm going to read it just, and this is, this is at the eve of the Civil War. He makes a statement. They call it, this is a part of what we call the cornerstone speech. And he explains the purpose of the Confederacy. This is, and I quote, Confederates had to quickly create not only a government, but also a nation, including all of the cultural values required to foster patriotism. The vice president of the Confederacy proclaims, that slavery and white supremacy are not only the cause for succession, but also the cornerstone of the Confederate nation. End of quote. I, the, the daughters of the Confederacy are well, well, Alexander Stevens. Everybody is kind of out in the zeitgeist. If you're in the Civil War area, they know that. They know what it's about. Mm-hmm. And I think... Killer Mike even brought that speech up at, at, after George Floyd's murder. I think the parts of the MAGA, the Make American Great Again contingent feels like that gaslight. Do you know what I mean? Like you guys know absolutely what you're doing, except your failure to acknowledge it or to hide behind because nobody wants to be called racist now. It's like, it's like the only thing worse than being called racist is like, like a Catholic priest pedophile. Do you know what I mean? Like it's very few people that like, even like most people in Jersey that I would come into contact with, wouldn't say no one like declares that they're a racist. I th- that's a new thing. I don't, how new, like, how new is that I to you? I think like, you got to remember that. 
That's just David Duke is is running for the governor of Louisiana in the eighties. Clearly a racist, and nobody would have said that he wasn't. You know, like I think this. I want to say post Clintonian, maybe post Reagan concept of we're going to soften conservative values. Liat water. Liat water. We're going to soften conservative values to make them not so obvious, but everybody's in on it. Everybody knows what it means. And I think where you were pushing back is like on the everybody. Well, 100%. I mean, like I think like in terms of intent, you know, this goes to like, what is the value of assessing someone's intent in regards to racism? And so in like, in terms of that, when you're talking about legislators, politicians, lobbyists, uh, corporations, strategists, daughters of the Confederacy, allegiances, all of that is like, could not be more intentional. Um, it, it, it couldn't like, cause you have to, the amount of savvy you have to have in all of those domains in order to make those decisions. Like, I mean, I don't know what the recruiting process for the KKK is like, but you know, there's a handbook, I'm sure, (laughs) you know, this shit's obvious, but when you're talking about a voting population, I think that, and that's normally where we tend to argue that is, it's, it's just, all Republicans don't vote for the same reason. All Democrats don't vote for the same reason. All independents don't vote for the same reason. Like, especially, um, I can't speak to the voting blocks in other countries much at all, except for the fact that they have way more of a choice than we do. It doesn't seem as much, and and I hate saying this type of thing because, you know, Trump has co-opted a lot of this language, but both the Democrats and Republican voting um, can can feel if, and this probably is a very white perspective because as a black person, you're way more at the brunt of the harmful policies often carried out. Well, I guess by both parties, really, but like more so the Republicans. Although, you know, uh, mandatory minimums is a democratic policy, uh, right? Clinton put that into office. Yeah. So, so, with so the help of Joe Biden. Both, it's kind of like, like the fixed game argument. It's not like literally a fixed game. There's not necessarily like there might be well, redlining is, it contributes to a fixed game. It, it, it's so it's weird. Like it, it's frustrating that that's the most like disorienting, destabilizing thing that like one of the things that Trump would do is, or still doing whatever, but like is saying things that have a semblance or a sentiment of truth to them, but using them for the biggest lie ever. And it, it just muddies everything. And I'm, I think he's very aware of that as well. But I say all that to say that, Voting apathy is, to me, a very understandable thing. I know it is, I vote, I'm not saying I don't vote, but I I don't, I mean, and I do think it, it matters, but it, it does feel like a fixed game. It, I, I don't think either party that's going to win, because we know the third party is like, we need one desperately in our country, but we need more than three, but like, and we need real debate. You know, I'm all for ranked voting, for example. I think that would dramatically shift everything in a positive way. But uh, anywho, I say all that to say is like the defeatism and the hopelessness that you can have a feeling neither party gives a shit about your interests is very real. So Lauren Bobart 
is a congresswoman from Colorado. She has like a restaurant called the Shooter's Grill where the waiters, the wait staff wears guns, I guess. they Loaded? Lo I don't know if it's loaded pistols, but like there's like a MAGA menu where you can order like a Trump burger. Like she's very excessive, very edgelordy, you know, like just almost like an exhibitionist almost like I'm, it's almost performance art. Do you know what I mean? Where like, is this person really serious? You know, like, I, I think I say that. But well, I mean, that's been the whole experience of that was the experience of Trump himself but in his in his but, uh, what do you call that thing uh, campaign? Yeah, I mean, but Trump's narcissism is serious. So I, anyway, I read an article in Mother Jones earlier today about her. What's Mother Jones? Mother Jones is a far left magazine. Okay. And it was talking about how she was born to a single, an 18 year old single mom. And like, she had all these legal troubles and her husband had all these legal troubles. And, um, eventually, you know, 2015 or earlier than that comes around and her house gets foreclosed on or whatever. And her and her husband figure something out. They open this restaurant. There's a lot of other things that happen. But I, through that story, I understand white despondency and not having a place for you in, in some ways. Because you imagine Obama comes in and there's hope and change in, in America, right? Hope and change is on the way. And... He sides with Wall Street. It right. never arrives. And people continue to lose their homes while Wall Street banks get bailed out. You know, and you get half measures on health care. And in the final analysis, you get patchwork health care program and a very symbolic presidency. Do you know what I mean? Is is in the final analysis, that's my elevator analysis on Obama, I could understand why a white person would just be completely despondent and helpless because there's, there's at this point, where are you going? Right. And then you have this person. Wait, who is that question directed to? I'm just saying in general, it's, it's, it's more rhetorical, okay. like for a white person, where are you going? If you're losing everything and you don't identify with primary culture, right? Like what's happening on these coastal things that Hollywood is producing, right? That's not your culture and perspective. Like, your, it's not your everyday perspective. It's not ours either, but that's not their perception, right? We're a lot... I would say, like, you and I are... I mean, I was, well, we're pretty close to... I don't know. We kind of operate on that perspective. Or at least we, we operate within that broad perspective you're speaking to, though. Like, like, I don't think you and I feel left out about that stuff. No, we don't. No. Um, but we're not in the middle. We're in a very cosmopolitan. Exactly. Where our That's thoughts why. and opinions are well-respected. Well, I mean, you know, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it's, it, com it comes with, like, I think, like, you and I are both very actively curious people. And so because of that, it's well, whatever. Go on. Yeah. So... None of our, none of, in any, for 95% of TV commercials and movies, 
it's pretty much in line with our perspective. Yes. Um, yes. We feel included in the conversation. We feel included in the conversation. And here comes this demagogue that makes them feel included. Right. And I think, you know, while the demagoguery has its origins in white supremacy, I think white supremacy is just some kind of replacement or some kind of whatever for the despondency that they feel. It's like, I'm just fueling my anger through this vessel. So I like, you know, I don't feel like I needed to answer the question, what is racism? Because I think you did a great job. But like in terms of like, what is the value of assessing someone's intent in regards to racism today? Listen, that assessing someone's intent is inherently important to the racial dialogue. I think like, A, because... I believe that in order to affect the most proactive change that will last, you need to assess the intent of the people you're trying to reach in order to like know how to like how to how to affect enact that change. So, however, that being said, I think now more than ever the intent has never been so low in importance. It's still very important, but I'm saying like it's at its lowest it's ever been, I guess, like in our history as Americans. And I think because I say that in that like racism is so entrenched in our history that it's so institutional that it's more about figuring out how to collectively break down these mechanizations. And I think when you talk to a lot of white people who don't have, just say like, like, like I do, like an innate interest in these sociopolitical ideas we often discuss here, and they are constantly hearing, and let's say, let's say these are like the people that we were, you know, we just mentioned are kind of like outside of this zeitgeist you're just speaking to, right? Like they don't feel in on the conversation like you and I both do. Those people, when they're hearing about white privilege and that their opinion, they, they, they need to shut the fuck up and listen, even though it's very true, they also don't feel heard in the present. And like, I'm not saying, eh, I'm trailing off here. I don't know where I'm going. Yeah. I think the intent doesn't matter as much as the consequence of the behavior. So I had something really fascinating happen to me. I don't know if I told you the story. Something really racist happened to me a couple of weeks ago in New York City. I don't think you told me this now. Um, so I'm out with the girls and I'm taking them to a water park in Dumbo. Dre is there too? Dre is there. She's in the grocery store. She's in the drugstore getting some sunblock for the baby. Okay. And this older white lady walks up to me and asks me, are all these three, are those three kids yours? And how old? That approximate late 60s and now you would probably say maybe she didn't mean any harm and my wife was trying to calm me down by saying well you are the only black guy walking around with a double stroller in brooklyn she would say that <laughs> um and i remember what part of brooklyn again dumbo okay and i remember thinking that is white supremacy and that is white privilege and that woman's intent, right? I think... Yes, yes. And I think 
would she take those views? I don't know this for sure. And discriminate and make the, her, her views effective. Probably. What do you mean? Like Elaborate if on she that. was in charge of something, she would bring like, I wouldn't pay a black guy at a cash register kind of thing. You know, I wouldn't make a black person, a black woman front facing at a restaurant. I think it is a symptom of white privilege and white supremacy, yes. But the fact that she feels that way, are those all your children is what she asked me. Right. Let's me know that inherent in her, whether intentional or not, is the belief that black people aren't equal to her. Like, I think if you... If you, the idea that you pose that question, we had the conversation maybe about a year ago, maybe about this scenario that I had read in the Atlantic about this, this guy who, who's married to this white woman and they have children together and somebody goes up to his kid, the mixed race baby and asks the mixed race baby, is that your father? Are you here kind of on your own? Like to find out. We've talked about that. Well, there's, a, there's another story you brought up. We had a big debate about same discussion, same exact topic we're talking about now. You were in the city again, but it wasn't what you just said. It was something else. Someone approached you. It was that, and we, we had this debate in the, at like my parents' house. We were having dinner there. Do you I, remember what I'm talking I, about? I don't remember. It was the same thing though, um, almost. And I think it's hard to, to imagine. Now this lady, I answered her question and... She went on to say, are you, do you realize, she's getting to like, your daughters look more like boys. The, no, daughters look more like their fathers because of the X chromosome or some shit she was saying. Who the fuck knows what this woman was saying? I kind of tuned her out. And then Drea came out and we kind of left. And I was like, it's, it's hard for me to not fathom this woman making decisions in her life based on her suppositions about race. All right, pause that for a minute. What do you think? We, so we we went, we were at my uh, parents' house for Memorial Day, uh, for a part of the day together yesterday. What do you think, and and, and um, without giving their names for their own privacy's sake, like we, uh, some old family friends of ours were visiting. They were staying at my uh, parents. And one of them, the, the, the husband was mm -hmm. a engineer and had lived, and was essentially talking about a lot of his time in the Philippines, right? And so mm -hmm. if I'm not mistaken, what was he an engineer for? He's a chemical engineer. Chemical I got engineer. To, he, and but, I got, to, got, the, got the idea that it was probably for oil companies. Okay. And he also is very fundamentalist Christian and has many interactions as kind of communicated by um, the wife that they provide shelter for like many missionaries traveling through those mm -hmm. countries that they live in. So we end up realizing he's a, a pretty big libertarian and we get into a pretty, a really engaging conversation. He couldn't have been kinder, kinder, thoughtful of presenting his ideas. And it was funny because he brought up the state's rights thing because we ended up talking he about gun control. It. And we, we were like, is he going to step in it? Is he going to step in it? And no, he didn't. But so I, I bring him up because... I'm just curious, I know I left a few points in the conversation that you maintained, and I was wondering, like, did you ever directly talk about race? No. 
I under, but I understood where he stood on race. So yeah, so that's my question because like obviously like everything we were talking about it wasn't directly about race, but is adjacent to it in some way. It's connected to it in some way, obviously. So do you think that man was racist? That's an interesting question. Do I think? Well, I think it gets to what we're talking about. Do I think that man would not hire somebody based on the color of their skin? No. Right. You're going back to your, your definition. Right. Like, I, do I think he harbors some troubling views that validate his worldview and his own success? Yes. You know, and I think... Yeah. I think... As anybody does. As anybody does, or at least somebody who lacks enough self-awareness to realize that I was successful enough to go to college in the 70s and make a life for myself... Do you know what I mean? That's a very unique perspective. I think... Because, like, with with what you're saying, the delineation we're making with prejudice and racism, like, I think it's true, it's valid, but I don't think most people understand the difference between the macro, micro components to the racial dialogue as it stands by the people like actually partaking in it. And, and I think, so when they like, so for example, white supremacy in how the term has changed and is being used today and is makes every, everyone is affected by white supremacy. So it, you know what I mean? So there's this concept that's called the patriarchal dividend. Right. Okay. So, and it's like men pay the patriarchal dividend to kind of be in charge. And in, in, in a lot of ways they sacrifice their own existence to this patriarchy. We do that. We do this in capitalism. We do this in war. Um, I follow what you're saying. Uh, and I think maybe the same, I'm not a hundred percent on board with the patriarchal dividend, but I think, however, I the think the point's interesting. It is. I think there's also a white supremacist or white privilege dividend. Well, like white people suffer less so, but there is a cost to their white privilege. There's a cost to, and it's not obvious, right? To people. What, well, it's, yeah, the cost is there. There's that. Um, there's that idea that I mean, it's 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 in it's tattooed on my my shoulder. Uh, it's though like from the idea of Foster Wallace is like this is water, which is that which is most obvious is often the most difficult to see. For example, right, like if this wall to the left, you know, to our side here, if if like your face was an inch away from it, you might, you wouldn't have the actual perspective that it's a wall cause you're too close, mm -hmm. you know? So it, it's, it's, it's kind of like when you're, when you're in something, sometimes that's like the hardest moment to see it. Mm -hmm. And, and the, this is water bit is like three fish passion passed by an old fish. And the old fish says to the three younger fish, morning boys, how's the water? And one of the fish says to the other, what the fuck is water? Mm -hmm. And so, to that effect, um, I, that's kind of, I think, like with white people and white privilege, like it's a learning curve for a lot of them, especially especially for 
white people who don't interact with black people much. Yes. And I think if I were to go back to the gentleman that we had the conversation with this weekend, I would probably say something like, he is not necessarily a racist, but he is a white supremacist. That's like a weird thing because I think... Well, I just think that's like not a... I, I don't think using the term white supremacist, outside of like like a daughter of Confederacy KKK, like I don't think using the term white supremacist is, is necessary even to bolster your argument and make the point you're making. It's not a personal thing at this point. It's more of like a phenomenon that we need to reckon with as a group of people versus like a one-to-one basis. I think, I don't know. Like I, I think that like you have a situation where he probably blames black people for their own failures He's a, he's a student of the economist Thomas Sowell. Oh, yeah. I don't know these economists. So <laughs> Thomas Sowell is a black economist who propagates this narrative that like, he tells this. I'll, I'll give you an example. Thomas Sowell tells a story about how great things were in Harlem for black people growing up in the 40s and 50s and how when he would sit on his fire escape, you wouldn't hear gunshots or there wasn't a lot of crime. To, to mean like, well, all this concept of institutional racism, all this is nonsense. It's just black people need to get themselves together. Look, remember back in the 40s and 50s where things mm. where black people were good. And I'm like, are you fucking serious? Are you? I, would, I, I think what you're saying is right now that especially like everything else you said, because again, I didn't know that talk point. The other thing that would like muddy this water and make it even more frustrating for both of us is, is he would also say like he would just like default. And, and I called him out on this before, but he would default to like, he brought God up a few times and it says, listen, I'm not taking away anyone's like belief in God, but it's such a big term. Like it eclipses certain nuance. Like we were so deep in a conversation. Like now you're going to bring this up. Like it, you're just flattening everything. So that's sidestepping and answer the actual question. Cause he didn't answer. He never answered that question. We were talking about the merits of like essentially having safety nets and support systems and Medicaid for all and free education, all this type of stuff that you and I are for. As every one of us in our position does, we bring up Finland and, and, and Scandinavian countries and whatnot. And they're, they're like, ah, yeah, but Scandinavian actually has a free market that's unfettered. And I'm like, well, okay, I'm not, I, I, like, economy is a weak point of mine, of course, but like, uh, taxes are pretty what, federal. What, what the fuck do you mean by unfettered then? Like, that's, he never, did he ever directly answer that God? I, answered no. that I asked that question four times. So this is a problem with much of conservative ideology. It's mostly knee jerk guy in the bar economics. Like if I was in charge. Well, I also think like, no, I, I, I agree with what you're saying, but I also think like it's a conflation of the personal to the macro, mm -hmm. like that micro macro thing. It's like, the, the, a conflation of the personal to the institution. Um, 
like sometimes they correlate. Obviously, there's like overlap, but like, oof, it's 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 hard, and it's a hard thing to navigate. Like I'm, a, I'm not, a, no, no one's, everyone like falls victim to that fallacy of like, but but it's one of the most like in, in terms of politics to me, it's like one of the most common fallacies that I see of well-intentioned individuals. Yeah, I mean, look, I, that's why that's why I struggle with it. Ronald Reagan, probably one of the more racist presidents in recent memory, if you want to call the 80s recent. I, but I've been told in, listening, in reading some biographies about him and articles about him that if you spoke to him on a one-on-one -on -one level, he was very kind. Right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and there is this pretense that just like that statement on the daughters of the confederacy was yes. super super nice it was super nice it was <laughs> pleasant and i hold I, you hold these thoughts because you don't want to say anything crazy to make yourself lose composure or to make anybody think badly about you yeah it's optics it's optics yeah. it's media training it's what the word is now yeah um but i think because the problem with conservative views on a lot of things, is there often conclusory? Like, what do you mean? They tend to answer themselves. Poor people are poor because they don't work. Because they don't work, they're poor. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's not the answer, you know what I mean? Like, it's all these very, si really simple ideas answers for these very very complex problems right like so he said to me that i said that well you know some people have you know there's the asvab in the military and if you don't get a certain score on the asvab i think it's like a 55 or 60 or something you don't qualify for the military and like if you don't qualify for the military you're in like the bottom 20 or 30% of intelligence in the United States. Okay. And this, the military is saying you're not smart enough to get shot at. Um, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Like, so, um, <laughs> so but there are a lot of people. So are they that, that don't qualify to go in the military? I remember running into people who were studying because they had just missed it by a few points. That's So what do you do with those people that aren't qualified to be infantrymen? Right? Like, which is your... Look, his answer was, well, I teach ESL courses in his area of the country. He brought it to an anecdotal personal story. It, exactly. I can't stand that. But, but, but again, he was wrong, even in his anecdote. I think you had stepped away at this part of I the conversation. I may have. I think I did, yeah. And he had said, well, these Mexicans that I teach, they're very hardworking and almost to oh, insinuate. no, no. I was there for this. Almost to insinuate that they don't know a lot, right? Like, but they still get it done. You know what I mean? Um, well, yeah. It's essentially like it's it's he's using like the lazy. He, he, he's saying lazy without saying lazy. Exactly. Yeah. So, the, so the, the people need to get it together like the Mexicans. I had to explain to him. You fucking crossed the Rio Grande. You got to wherever the fuck in the country you were. You know how smart and resilient like you had to be to do that? Like, don't like, 
wherefore by the grace of God go I, yeah. right? Like you're only here because like these Mexicans are looking at you like I could do your job if I had, do you know how to do to get here? Like, so I think I always say this, like people judge African-Americans all the time against Africans, right? People that are from Nigeria, Ghana, Liberia who come here and do really they well. They do, yeah. And I said, that's because all the lazy Africans are in Africa. They don't go through the immigration well, process. Wait, I mean, listen, that's very funny. And there's definitely some truth to it. But like, it's also that they didn't grow up hated for who they in, like biologically are. You know what I mean? Like a Nigerian comes to America at 24. He has... 24 good years. Listen, I'm not saying like all Africa is a dream, but like my point is, is that though he has 24 years of not being put into like existential crisis of having to reckon and subvert the notions of hatred pointed at him constantly. He might have to good deal with some totalitarian bullshit, some tribalism bullshit. Again, whatever the sociopolitical like strife in maybe his primarily black place he came from but it wasn't like that like existential like uh, you know racism that we put on you in america so that's all that's another advantage yeah i mean it's a it's self-selecting group of people yeah. who come here like exactly. you're not because trust me i've been to ghana and in other parts of africa and there are criminals there and they're they're just like there are everywhere else but they they're not going to fill out the i-190 on the uscis website to come to America. Did uh, one more point on the, um, on uh, this guy we were talking to. I did find it funny though. And I don't, you probably get this all the time, but like, Oh, let me tell you about all the black people I know. <laughs> right. That was yeah, happening. Like a that little was bit. happening. Yeah, like yeah. he knows a couple I of was Nigerians looking, and, but you were being very, very, very patient. Yeah, Cause you're, I'm used to it. Like oh, I, I know you, you get used to it. <laughs> Where like white people are, because I don't. But to, to my parents, I don't even think my parents do that much. No, but I, this is a different. My mom. May Let me have. tell you the difference. The difference between your parents, your parents don't come with their own assumptions about anything, for the most part. They're very Christian, and they bring that to the table. But I always got the sense from your parents that they were willing to listen and learn first. Yeah, that that's very true. And that's very true. They're they weren't prescriptive. Okay, you love it. You love it. <laughs> um, so well, so okay. Uh, shifting gears a little bit, though, going back to what we were talking about, we were going back and forth on this intent thing, and like often, like the conversation would revolve around. Uh, Isabella Wilkerson's book cast. cast and you know again it's, it's it's the assessing of intent based on voting track record or we tend to disagree and you had this like epiphany that you wanted to share and it was it was just kind of related to uh Colorado lady no but it is in some ways so in this epiphany, like you kind of couched it as like something that like your mind was changed. Like some, you, you just like, oh, this is, am I, am, yes. Right? Okay. Yes. So 
I was watching Jordan Klepper interview a MAGA person. Jordan Klepper is Daily Show correspondent, and they go out, and I typically don't watch it. I think, like, it's... Yeah, I typically don't watch it because... I think it's just making fun of these people. And while I think these people are ridiculous, I don't think it's helpful <laughs> to embarrass Well, describe them. it more. You, you jumped over so it. So he's interviewing this, like, it looks like this extremely overweight Samoan guy who was just yelling, fuck John King and fuck Joe Biden into a window where apparently they might have been having an interview or something like that. And the guy is just like a complete loser right for for lack of a better term he's out there in the middle of the day doing this four of his children are in the car watching him and he has like all this maga stuff all over him and i don't think loser is a lack of a better term for the record (laughs) um i i saw this and i thought about and i could be miss i could be i was trying to i was trying to find a reference to this but i didn't have the time to read the whole book Achenowa Chebe, a famous Nigerian author, has a book called Things Fall Apart. And in that book, there's a part of it where they, if a child's, if a child's teeth grow in the wrong direction, they would think that's a curse and they would throw the baby in the river. And, you know, it's because I thought it was bad for the crop. So I think t- children's teeth typically grow in bottom first, top second. But if you grew in top first, then that was a bad omen for the subsequent crop and you would be thrown in the river. So it's like a black midsummer. Exactly. A black midsummer. Maybe maybe more Aztecian, I think. Um, I th- so the way the British colonized Nigeria wasn't through force necessarily. Now, there was some force eventually. But they didn't go in guns blazing. Um, they initially started picking the exiles off. And if you had a situation where your baby's teeth weren't growing in in what the tribe deemed proper, they offered refuge. And in that refuge, they were able to build their numbers and eventually overthrow these communities. That is MAGA in a nutshell, right? Like, while it's not babies, it's... Unpack that. Uh, so... Because, I mean, I mean, one description I would give to this scenario, and you were describing things fall apart in British colonialism, would be, I mean, it's it's unabashed, like, opportunism. It's exactly what MAGA is. Yeah. Well... Give us... So, like, you know, give us your... What does the Satchel say? Tired, weak, and weary, yearning to be free. Right? And that's how they, they position... So by by Matt, when you say MAGA, you just mean Trump's like Trump supporters, the the extreme Trump supporters, or do you mean any Trump supporter? The extreme, because I think there are people like the guy that we have a conversation with who are intelligent enough to know better. And if he was living in America, I forget where he's actually living now. He might be still in the Philippines. I'm not sure. No, he's he's in he's in the South, in the American South. I would not be surprised if he voted Trump. Oh, absolutely. Like I'd be surprised if he voted otherwise. Um. Yeah. And. He or, or or if it was like it was a libertarian independent guy. Yeah, but I don't. I I think that that's more reputable. Though. There are people like him who support Trump. I think they're a little bit more sinister because they know what the game is. Like the daughters of the Confederacy know what the game is. See, I don't though. So I don't think 
the guy we were talking to knows, like, I think he sincerely believes everything he was saying. I think he, this is a thing. Like, and I, 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 listen, I think there's elements of superiority, like you were saying. I mean, obviously, like, it's coming from white supremacy. My, my point is, though, is that, like, I think, I don't even think necessarily this guy was conned. I just think he's making a lot of bad faith decisions. Whereas in um, plenty, plenty of Trump supporters have been conned. Uh, he, he though, and I guess we don't know, we don't know how he voted, but he, I do think, believes everything he is saying is for the greater good. And that greater good includes black people. I actually, I actually am going to agree with that. Like, yeah. I think that like, I don't think he had malicious intent. And that's kind of the reason I bring it up. Because, like, it, it's so interesting that, like, A, you know, we've had, we've been having this, like, such a long, again, like, I, I'm citing all these moments in our, like, friendship where we've been having this fun back and forth. And, like, here we had this long talk. Then you have this epiphany you share with me, like, oh, this might be good for the podcast. And then yesterday we have, like, this perfect example of a story to, like, kind of talk about. Because how many white people have you been able to talk with like that? Oh, I went to like, school. That, in, that like, I guess that let you in like that. I went to school in Indiana and it's full of conservatives. Um, so you've been debating with people like, that like all this time. all the time. Okay. I think Trump added a new dynamic that was very different. Like I could understand how you could support George W. Bush and not be a racist. So, okay. Because see, to me, I I hear a lot of Trump supporters will say something like, none of the social shit matters. Social shit's going to figure itself out. I vote on the economy. That's a very popular thing. And that was a popular thing before Trump. And so I just think that the more uh, stubborn, mostly, well, yeah, like the more stubborn individuals really dug their heels in. And I think it's to the point of um, obliviousness to some degree. But I like... I'm not, and I'm not saying it's a good decision or it's well reasoned, but I just think like that's what they believe. I struggle with this. I do think that there's a contingent of Trump supporters who are just despondent and feel like there was. I was. I remember listening to a podcast about QAnon and how somebody got really. This guy got really deep in the Q. And almost like abandoned his real family and just became a part of the Q family or whatever. Yeah. And thinking like the man just found like a place where he belonged. It didn't really matter what they were saying, you know, like, um, so I, I, I think I understand that contingent of people who, well, because you can relate in some ways and like, so and, and it, in terms of feeling left out of circles, you know you have a right to belong to. Well, I never, this is a thing, and this is be me speaking individually. I'm, I'm not equivocating. No, I know, you, but you this know is me speaking individually. I never, as a black man, feel like I have a right to belong anywhere, except with other black people. Like, so I, there are places in a... But you know you do. No. Meaning, like, like you're, I feel like you're talking, like, well... You know reality, so therefore you know you 
that might not work out that way, but you know that you deserve that and that you have the right to be in those spaces. That's a very interesting question. I understand as a black man that I probably shouldn't go to Iowa. I mean, Iowa, Ohio, Idaho, right? Like I hear all these, uh, me and my wife joke all the time about like every time, like there's like these top 20 places to live, right? It's like Idaho's already up there, always up there. And I was like, oh, you know, be nice to be white and be able to move to Idaho. Do you know well, what I- we kind of talked about this with, um, our band, our band called death. Yep. Like there are things as a black person that you accept that you can't do. Right. But, but my point is like, so the delineation I'm making is you're talking now about reality. Like, but my point is, is that in terms of rights, like rights are often something like that we fight for or stand for, or like is part of like our moral code, right? It's an ethic. So you know that you have a right to the same freedoms I do, even if yeah. that, even if it's not that way. Yeah, I understand that I have a right to do a lot of things, right? Like I <laughs> right. have a right to jump off a building, but is that a good idea? Will that work well, out for me? Like that's that's a funny yeah, issue. <laughs> um, like, <laughs> um, I don't I don't think that like your parents went to Montana. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is where this, for this conversation started to come up. Yeah, and I was like, oh, that would be really nice. If I, if I was white, I'd totally go to Montana. Dude, I totally would. Like, but it's not, I mean, it might not work out for me. Like, there's a lot of things that would could go wrong. Would you be afraid to visit Vermont? Vermont's very different. I know it. I'm just, that's yeah, not a and the Vermont, Vermont's very different. So yeah. Vermont would be. You still fine. have to Even be on watch, though. Yeah, there's a lot of white supremacists in Vermont, yeah, actually. Yeah. So maybe I had to think about that. Uh, weird question, but kind of like, uh, how many times have you been camping? Well, I was in the military. But outside the military, yeah, 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 maybe a handful of times, two, three times, not very many times. Uh, generally, is is the reason kind of like what I'm alluding to based on what we're talking about? And it's just hard to find other black people to go camping with. <laughs> um, not that many black people I know go camping, and it's not that you can't go camping with white people. It's just you haven't the had the unique relationship that we have. Like I could obviously go camping with you, right? Yeah, uh, I actually I haven't. You know, I don't, I don't. I don't know. Maybe I've only been camping like once or twice. Anyways, but yeah, um, but yeah, we could go camping. Like <laughs> the the fascinating thing is, and this is this could be completely anecdotal, and we're going way off course, but I think it's interesting. Is how many strong friendships between black and white people? Like, because we're people might not know. We talk every other day. Pretty much, outside, yeah. The outside when the we podcast. don't, it's weird. It's weird. Yeah. You know my family. I know your family. Like, yeah. Um, baby showers. Baby showers. Retirement barbecues. parties. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I don't really know many other people who remain that, have that kind of interracial friendship that extends beyond childhood into adulthood. Well, we weren't childhood friends, though. Exactly. But I, even like, so you generally, oh, so I, generally, you're saying you don't know any friendships that happen after that. Yes. in in that, or like, even if it started into childhood, generally like, you know, there is like this delineation and it, and it goes in separate directions. Like my wife, we can cut this out. My wife, or maybe not. My wife likes to say that like her best friend is white. And this is woman that 
she knows really well, but she never really speaks to the person. The person never, like the person goes on vacation. She doesn't know a person's on vacation. Yeah. Well, you and I have also like, we can be our most vulnerable with one another. Exactly. Yeah. I don't necessarily, those are, I think our relationship is very unique. Because, it, no, it is. Because, and I think. Or un unfortunately. Unfortunately. Yeah. I think it's very yeah. unique. And I think that plays a lot into why we have very, why racial dynamics are still the racial dynamics in America. I mean, cultures run deep. They're thick and heavy. And like most people, like I think Jersey's a unique circumstance for like a friendship like this is like the tri-state area, like New York, Philly, Jersey. I think Connecticut's sometimes been considered part of the tri-state area, but fuck Connecticut. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like in those types of areas, or, or, or like, you know, California or, you know, you know what I'm talking mm -hmm. about. Like, like these types of friendships are more likely. The interesting thing is though, is that when they happen, people are really, like gravitate toward them. Like, here's a good, a good one is, um, run the jewels, mm -hmm. the hip hop group. Like, you know, we talked about like their six, their fans primarily being white. I think partially true. But they definitely have a lot of black fans too, and and, and their fans are, are probably cover a wide swath of people, maybe more cross pollination than a lot of rap. I don't know, but point is, is that they're very successful. Like they sell out festivals. You know, they they play to packed crowds. They receive very well, and they have a very palpable friendship. It's like charming. It's funny. They could make fun of each other. They they support one another. It's very endearing. But like, that's a good example of one, and like. There is also um, in Hollywood, they had Gene Wilder and Richard Pryor. Mm -hmm. Fantastic when they're on a the screen together. Like you could tell that they were on the same level, you know? Mm -hmm. um, it is rare though, yeah. It's those, yeah, those relationships are very far and few in between. You don't find many of them. It's less common. New York and Jersey City, man, it's, I mean, you know. Yeah, I mean, and it's, it's less common in one of the most diverse places in the world. Like, imagine how less common it would be, like, in Texas or something. I don't know. Just like a, a slight anecdote on black and white friendship. My daughter is best friends. My, I call, she says, she, this is what her, this is her words, not mine. My medium daughter <laughs> of his best friends. Wait. Tayo is the medium daughter. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> um, is best friends with a white girl. And this is in preschool? This is, yeah, Where, preschool. Is she going to preschool now? Preschool, okay. right? And I got a text um, from the white daughter's mom today, or my wife did, and they asked her, they asked her daughter, what's one thing that made her smile? And she said, Tayo. Like, Aw, very yeah, cute. Yeah, very cute. So it's, I'd be interested to see, like, in real time, like, how their relationship plays out. Because they are so close and they love each other so much. Like, what... I know, obviously, us moving away or something like that. But, like, what really interrupts that kind, that relationship? That that Outside of, like, a move, moving. Outside of moving, like, what really, really interrupts that? If any. If anything. Like, you know, yeah. I hope that they they stay friends for life. You know, but I don't know if that's realistic. Well, you know? no, I mean, they're fucking preschool. But yeah. <laughs> like, but I remember, I remember, and now we're way off, but I remember as a kid having friends 
that I had for like years and years and years that I kind of grew up with. And it was just high school, a different high school or something like that, that kind of changed the dynamic. I mean, how many, like, I only talked to... I mean, I met like Ralph when I was in high school, but he wasn't from my high school. I probably only talked to like four people and like by four, I mean like each of those four people, like once a year, if that from high school. And I don't talk to anyone from high school. Yeah. Like, yeah, I don't know. High school is whatever. <laughs> um, I don't talk to anybody from high school, but you know. Yeah. So what was it about that daily show bit that like changed your mind? Because, because here's the thing, like, when I argue with you, it's always over, like, the finest of hairs. And sometimes, like, like you move, you know, like, we, we've kind of talked about this, like, in, in, in psychoanalyzing one another, where, like, you'll say that I'll move to abstraction too quickly and flatten, a, flatten an idea, which is definitely true. And I'll say that you move way too fast and like can lead to kind of like a, like a hastily made dis like a conclusion and an idea. Mm -hmm. So anywho, with that being said, like we've like, I always get a lot of the points you're taking, but sometimes like when we get back and forth so much, um, I feel like occasionally you don't hear what I'm saying. I'm just curious as to like what broke this train of thought you were combating with me on if that's like a fair question so i take it i'll take it back to i work for a pharma company and i live in this very pristine world right and i and i say that, say that so like my desk is cleaned by a cleaning lady every night when i leave okay like i i go back to a pretty like an okay apartment Oh, yeah. your whole life. You're talking about your life. Yeah. Like, and everything is based on like, so, so to make our lives easier at work, they make sure there are snacks available to us 24 hours a day in case we need to stay like late at work or whatever. And they've, it's most of the snacks you have to pay for, but they put an app on our phone so we can scan our own snacks and pay for it through Apple Pay. It's really cool. <laughs> um, and everything in my life is built for my comfort. Do you know what I mean? For okay. the most part. Like, okay. And everything in that man's life was completely the opposite. Oh, and this guy who, who the Samoan dude? Yeah, Samoan dude. Okay. You're out in the middle of fucking Washington, D.C. with four kids in your car screaming at press people because you feel aggrieved. What's the genesis of that? It can't really be grievance. It has to be you haven't found a place for yourself. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like they're. Well, so, so, but, but like, like, I mean, I. I I, I, all these conclusions you're drawing from this, I do agree with, and, and I'm excited to hear you say them, but I just, it's just surprising to me. It's the type of thing, like, and, and this kind of goes to the, the whole, the actual, like, this question I'm asking kind of goes to the whole thing of what we're talking about, too. It's like, I'm trying to assess, right, by asking that question, like, what it is that finally clicked for you with, like, this point that, like, I guess, like, in our group chat, like, Ralph and I would often make. 
And it, it goes to show it's like you could hear something a thousand times, but you got to also feel it and it needs to have the space in your life to resonate. And, and that's like what I'm yes. gathering from yes. this moment. And, and, and I think those two things can exist at the same time, right? I think you can have somewhat of an authoritarian caste system that exists for a number of African-Americans and have this whole MAGA band of misfits it's multivalent. Yeah. Exactly. So I don't think one negates the other. I think there's a multitude of things going on. And if you're if you're the Samoan who feels completely despondent and that America, for whatever reason, isn't working for you, maybe America isn't working great for you, but you feel like, like all the crazy ideas that I have. Nobody agrees with them except this guy. And I feel at home, right? These people make me feel special. They, they call me for my birthday. Do you know what I mean? They check in on my kids. Whatever the hell these people are doing in their free time to make this man feel like he feels like he belongs there. Now, I don't necessarily think um, America makes people, unless you're operating at the highest level where they tend to your every comfort, America is not a place of belonging. You end up speaking like the guy where it's based on talent, right? It's if you have the talent, you can like I didn't have fucking I'm not gonna say I don't have any talent, but I was I went to Catholic school for twelve years. My mom found like what is remarkable, the only black all Catholic school in Massachusetts that sent ninety percent of their kids to college. The automatic tell for me. When somebody talks so polite and is very, and, and I believe that this man was like, that we were talking to yesterday was like, meant every, like he, there was no, like he presented himself honestly. He was an honest man mm -hmm. or is an honest man. So, but, but when someone like presents an idea, you, you it like, no, you disagree with, but like, let's say like you and I are very sure of ourselves or at least like. We know exactly who we are and where we stand on things. So we can hear wrong ideas and it's not going to threaten us. And we can hear an idea presented to us in kindness and have the security to disagree with them openly in mm -hmm. an also a kind manner. Not everybody has that at all. I don't think a lot of people do. Um, and I'm very fortunate. I don't think I'm like talented about it. But my point is, is like, so he was presenting all, like he, he's clearly a very intelligent person. He's very well spoken, and he's a good painter of a story. He loved he loved telling a story. Mm -hmm. um, so as he was engaging to listen to, but like the big tell for me, because because in moments like that, I don't want to. I'm I'm a very like like on the podcast if we have a guest on, like I don't want to antagonize them necessarily. I I don't want to like just be a dick. That's easy to do online because there's that divide. But like. You know, you want to appease. There's like that kind of like social instinct to appease. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, in those moments, I'm trying to like hold back and just try and find a tell as to what, like, and his tell for me was when he was saying um, that schools should be run like, like high level corporations. <laughs> and I was like, oh, you don't fucking understand how like potential manifests. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, 
years, seemingly, based on what you're saying. Yeah, and he couldn't answer my question on why, because he thought that charter schools were the answer. And oh, I was my like, God. Your question was great. Yeah, yeah I was like, why, if that's the case, then why aren't wealthy suburbs pining for charter schools? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anywho. Um, um, no, but the, 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 bigger, the, the bigger thing I'm trying to like, like I, I hear everything you're saying. I agree with it with um, this Daily Show piece and how it kind of made certain things click for you. It's just, it's just interesting when, when something like finally changes a person's mind and like what it took to get there. And I know I'm like, I know I didn't like, like, cause, cause no, you and I, I think, argue I think, over that, I think, I think what it was, if I, now that I think about it, I felt sorry for him. Right. I felt like when I, when, and, and then you that, pitied him. I, I was like, and that was that your first time pitying a white person. It wasn't even white. Oh, um, right. I'm sorry. But I, 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 I heard Trump supporter. Trump supporter. Yeah, yeah, I mean, anyways. do you think, and you might not even know this, it's totally fair, but do you think part of what made you able to empathize with him was because he was non-white? No. I think that if you go back to our conversations, I don't know if any of these made this on the podcast, I've been talking about the despondency of white men for a long time, particularly through the lens of the Warren Farrell book that I read. You have, but then why didn't it click for the like our voting Argument. I think because the Trump, the Trumpian policies have consequences, and and if you're okay. saying like, well, they don't know what they're doing, who fucking cares? They're doing it. You know what I mean? So like, right. Um, but I, I, in a way, I got to look at this man, and then then I read the article about Lauren Bobart, and I was like, these are really just sad people with like well, if, that's not mutually exclusive with yes, racism no. but it's not right you can be a sad racist yeah. <laughs> um, I, most of them are um i think though you know they're ripe for a con do you yes. know what i mean yes it, they yes. are ripe for a con yes. like if you're gonna if you're gonna sell something that doesn't work oh they're buying they're buying <laughs> right yeah. these are the same people that send their money to televangelists Right. I bet if you were to look at, yeah. I bet you if you were to look at like, and they don't know what they're doing. Like, you know, forgive them father for they know not what they do. Yeah. It's a bit of that. Um, I think they have a self-interest in being white and maintaining that, but they don't know why I think that and they don't know that they might not know that, that, that is what is happening. Um, I, I don't, well, like, actually that's not true. A lot of that. That's a yeah, lot. Of I think that right like, now. I think that they, they know but they don't know. They feel like it's just they're working from a scarcity mindset. What black people get, I don't. I think that white privilege is a necessary, like it's a necessary part of the conversation. It needs to be had. It's a it's a real thing. It has real cost. But I'm very frustrated that a lot of the times. The conversation around white privilege, it's like pitted against, it's almost like used as a, a slur, so to speak, rather than just a fucked reality we're all contending with. And the interesting thing I think about privilege is that like, you know, it's an economy of sorts, right? And, but it's not a, it's not an economy based on scarcity. Like it doesn't deal in those parameters, to a degree, you can take your privilege and share it in some ways. It's possible for white people to do that, 
I think. Yes, but people don't do that unless unless you are the most altruistic, caring, sensitive, open person. People don't do that without expecting something in return. Like, what do I get for giving up this? Well, it's you get, you know, it's to get what you give. Notion. Yeah, but that's and, but that yeah. there there's altruism in that, right? No, no, the, of course, of course. Kindness, no, no, you're right. You're right. But my like, point is though, is that I guess like in like, like a more succinct way of saying that is white privilege doesn't need to be weaponized. I don't know. I, I get uh, what you're saying. I get. Yeah. I get you. So. It's something that we need to discuss, acknowledge in its moments and kind of work on. Yeah. Um, Definitely discuss. Yeah, no, all those things. So I think... Because it's like, I have no choice but to have white privilege. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it's not like white people actively choose it, so to speak. You know, it's like you're kind of born into it. So it's just like, oh, well, it's this thing I have to reckon with, you know? Yeah, and and, and it's... The same way you didn't choose to be black. Exactly. And a couple of things. I think that if there was this book that I read called Dark Money, and it talked about how like these really nutty conservative values. Did it have the Koch brothers in it and stuff? Yeah, it was the Koch brothers and all these really nutty conservative values, libertarian values, became mainstream in the Republican Party. Tea Party. And Exactly. And like one of the things they did that was extremely successful is somehow trick white people into thinking that these policies were actually beneficial to them. Um, right. And I don't even think it's a stretch if you were to say to people, Hey, like, let me explain to you why white from the data, why white supremacy would be better. Well, and like concluding these things on white supremacy would be better for you. Like, if there was no white supremacy, then maybe we could have a better healthcare system. Like, how was white supremacy hurting you? In like a more analytic perspective, well, the, the libertarians and the Tea Party and the Koch brothers, like, I mean, the, you know, alongside denying institutionalized racism, which theoretically most libertarians do, you know, they also deny the dynamics of class, which is kind of what you're speaking to now. I feel like. The Tea Party was definitely racist, but that wasn't its first bullet on the agenda. No, I think racism was a vehicle to get these billionaires the tax cut that they wanted. Yeah. I think we did it. I think so, too. Again, drop us a line at bostonnj at racetraderpodcast.com. Check the spelling in the show notes. And if you feel so inclined, subscribe and give us five stars on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, folks, stay curious. Love you, Tayo.